This is Power 1 and 2 Digital, the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Everybody right now caught in the jostle for space in the race trying to keep up with the pace, but the space ram cram. Everybody is a jam, jamming, jamming, jamming for a better life, a better way of living. In the meantime, simple things we forgetting, like how to say good morning, morning neighbor. Oh yeah, good morning neighbors. Ten minutes after the hour is seven o'clock on this the fifteenth day of November, middle of the month. Forty-one days to Christmas. Two more weeks to the end of the hurricane season. Yeah. All right. Of course, we have a news brief coming up at eight o'clock, and that's all. Courtesy Champlain Auto Services. All right. Let's take a look at what's happening traffic-wise. I don't have to tell you getting into the capital is a bit chaotic this morning. Uh, but let me start out in the west. Diego Martin. Traffic. All routes. Out of Maraval and Moncoco Road, traffic, Lower Santa Cruz, uh, you got some traffic there as well. Still got some flood waters, um, opposite the market on that eastern main road stretch, still got some flood waters. Uh, if you're heading westbound, you can Mausica, straight in the port of Spain. You got a little ease up after you, but by Kirap, you'll pick up some traffic. I've got some Karani to is also traffic. Uh, Southern Main Road from Sugarguanas is not too bad. Rivlet Road is heavy. Freeport to Sugarguanas, you got traffic. And then from Sugarguanas all the way down, it is slow going. All right. San Fernando, very light at this moment. Very light. All right. So there you go. Cocorit, yeah, you got some traffic there on the Western Main Road. But the foreshore is pretty much clear. I'll tell you that much. As you head eastbound. All right, gentlemen. So we're back. And let me see if I have any more votes for you. Richard Rakupar saying, I got Miss Ingrid. My answer to the poll is no. Thank you so much, Miss Ingrid. Just double checking again anymore here. Yeah, no, that's it. All right, Rich, so let's get the results. I pretty know what know what it is already. Well, our poll this morning, do you believe the police narrative that Jelano Romney was offered police protection and refused it? Mm-hmm. We had 21 people voting on the poll this morning. Of the 21 people, about 21 people in the allotted time, mm-hmm. 17 of you said, yes, you do believe the police narrative. Four of you said, no, you do not. So 21 people in all voted in the allotted time. 
Of course, you can continue to vote on this poll throughout the day and through all programming, and we'll give you the final result tomorrow morning, which will be Wednesday and midweek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, I think if you ask most people what they thought of Jelani prospects options for survival, most people would be question. Most people would have a question mark. You, you ever thought about a, a path downward that was kind of predictable? Unfortunately. Even his brother said uh, his choices were very, very um, of great concern. You know? Who said this? His brother. It's, it's in, the, in the Express today that he, he didn't agree with his brother's life choices. And he ended up where he ended up because of his life choices, as can be applied to all of us, quite frankly. I don't know. It's just to me another. It, we just come to accept that these lives. Is that the question? Is, could we have done anything differently with that young man's life, or any similar end end of life stories? You know. I don't know. It's just very very disturbing. All right. Let's say good morning. Good out to Dorothy. Recording in progress. Good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Commissioner, Acting Commissioner of Police, Mr. Jacobs. How are you? I am. I am okay this morning. Feeling feeling well and 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 ready to go. Lovely, managed, lovely. Managed to get a, a five hours rest last into this morning. Was that a long sleep for you? Good morning, Commissioner. Five hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was wow. a long sleep for you? Yeah, well, I had a, a real hectic day yesterday. I fell asleep earlier than I thought, you know? Oh. I had plans. Rest is important. All right. Can you give us an update on the Jelani Romney murder? Well, you know, that investigation is, is very much active. The homicide investigators from our region, one um, section is doing the investigation in that matter. And that is much as I can say at this point in time, concerning it is active. And the crime scene officers have processed the scene and, and they, you know, they have to depend on a lot on the scientific evidence and, and trying to see how the technology in relation to the roadway and the and whether or not it has CCTV in the area to, to do the canvassing. A lot of um, work need to be done there, but they are doing the work that is necessary. Given the nexus of this young man a couple of months ago to the PC Jilts, Clowns Jilts situation, uh, was he in protective custody? Was he in he, a witness protection program, I should say? That's the correct we, no, no, he, um, as mentioned by the senior superintendent in charge of the homicide, in fact, it was offered to him. That is what they required to do, and he was refused. And then when the other investigators headed by senior superintendent Chandu, who dealt with the other part of the investigation, the offer again was made, and he had refused. 
uh, can you give us why he was offered protect, uh, witness protection? No, well, he um, maintained that he felt a bit unsafe, you know, and from the circumstances. So if he's saying that, looking at everything, and, and he there was some perceived threat, as he mentioned, we will offer him that measure of protection. And how long ago was he offered witness protection? I said he was offered witness protection in the first form of the inquiry when he was picked up by the homicide department, when he refused. Then another team was doing the, in the, the other part of the investigation headed by Senior Superintendent Chandu, which was completed about two or three weeks after the incident. He was again offered by them, and he refused. But, but Commissioner, the, the, the attorney for Jelano Romney um, is quoted in the media today as saying that his client requested police protection from the police while being interviewed by them, but requested protection from the police while being interviewed by them, but was never given any offer of protection. Is it that you're saying that his attorney is being inaccurate? Because those are, two, those are two competing narratives. Yeah, the police has... No, all I can say that at the time, it's not just yesterday with the comments made by my senior superintendent, homicide, and the information received from Mr. Chandu, all they did to me yesterday when they spoke with me was to confirm what I knew, what I was told since when the incident occurred. So, so I look at proximity of situation. It's not that they are now saying this when this happened. Since when the incident happened, the the senior superintendent had in, they had informed me that he had refused. And since before, Mr. Chandwenem said that he had refused. So that was since when. So it's not like if it was brought up now. So the question of who lying and who not speaking the truth, you know, as I said, in Trinidad and Tobago, we reach this stage, and I call it Trinidad Analytica approach that is damaging this country. And I am saying that you find over and over persons who we expect to be in particular status and position in this country is doing and saying things, you know, and, and some of the other in some instances is being accepted, even though you're seeing all the factual information existing there. And what they fail to realize that the persons who are on the street, who are on the road, in the communities are listening in and seeing the high level of dishonesty and behavior of persons who we expect to be persons who we looked up to and the kind of damage it's creating within our society. I call it the intangible da damage. So again, I stand firm with my officers in relation to it because of the information that was given to me previous to this particular incident. So you're saying that you Christian J. Williams is being untruthful. He's lying. I am not dealing with him. I'm dealing with the situation. And y'all can, in fact, surmise whatever you wish from what I am saying. I stand firm with the information given to me by my officers because that was given to me since then. 
and they would they reinforced it again when they spoke with me yesterday. And I can assure you, my officers have made the relevant notes like we normally do, you know, in a, a sequential way of both situations. Commissioner, you spoke about persons in society, and I hope I'm not paraphrasing wrongly, misleading and making inaccurate statements in the public domain, but you yourself have been subject to inaccurate statements by your officers at the start of this incident, the, the, the interaction with Mr. Romney related to when, the when, initial incident. No, when, when I make my statement, I am not just referring and, and exempting the police service and officers within the police service. In the police service, the police service is a microcosm of the society. And you will find that some of the things that are happening in the general society will happen within the police service. So when I'm making my statement, I am even talking to my officers out there also. When we hold positions of authority and, and what you expect for a level of, of respect, we've we got to be careful what we say, you know, and don't try to deceive and behave in a particular manner. So I am talking about generally. All but the while problems, the public is expected to be truthful, I agree with you, and disseminate information to the police and authorities about its use, it has even greater implication when officers are untrue because of the wider powers officers have. Yeah, and, and it's also, and, and that I called, I call that the tangible aspect with the officers. But we also have persons who hold even more prominent officers within our land. We need, they indeed need to take the same lead that we are trying with our officers and say, hear what is happening. You all have an owner's responsibility in this society. You all have the powers of arrest. You all are expected to protect and serve. And the standard that is measured of you all is higher than the normal standard of the normal citizen. In the thought of law, even when you have cases and they look at the reasonable, prudent police officer and they measure it, they win measure it against the reasonable, prudent civilian, they expect you to be a certain standard. The same way they expect that higher standard in relation to a doctor carrying out his work, you understand, a lawyer carrying out his work, the standard that is set for each level, it depends on that responsibility that is given to you within the society and sometimes the powers that is given to you in the society. So we have a program in the service with dealing with ethics that we have, and when, next year we're going to reinforce it, to deal with those said issues that you are referring to. So we are not divorced of those things that I'm talking about. I'm saying that the entire society... We need to look in and see what is happening because some or the other we feel these things are not having an effect on the minds of the young people on the ground who are committing all these violent crimes. If you all get an opportunity to interview some of these young people and hear what they are saying, they have a to some of them have a total disrespect for persons in society, in, in society not just the police in some instances, but other persons who in 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 prominent positions. Well, we know about the socialization issues of some young people, unfortunately. If we could move the conversation to 
just a, one of the, the antecedents to what we're seeing in terms of the criminality in the country. And the statements by the Minister of National Security last week at the JSC National Security, where he, he focused a lot on, well, we focused a lot on the issue of the uh, legal firearms and uh, consequently the ammunition coming into the country and, and how the TTPS is seeking to audit that, if at all, because the Minister of National Security, of course, spoke about the 108 legal firearms that have uh, been associated with some crimes, including four murders. But the conversation also widened to ammunition in the country, and in the words of the Minister of National Security, the millions and millions of rounds of ammunition being imported by through legal dealers. And your thoughts on that and how the country is managing that. Well, what, what is happening coming out of these two reports? I have a team of officers, which is under the, really, the ECP Criminal Division, Assistance Winter, um, Commissioner Criminal Division, um, coming out from the Professional Standards Bureau with a combination of one particular officer from each of the 10 divisions joining the Professional Standards. So there's around 30 persons together with persons, 30 persons within the, together with the professional standards bureau in all the city who are actually doing some investigations with our firearm dealers. You know, one of them was charged recently, right? And we are looking to see that, ensure that they have everything organized. They have the relevant documents and everything is stored properly. That is required by law. So that work is going on right now. Our next step when we complete that exercise is to ensure that our security companies and others have their their weapons, their ammunition, everything that is organized. We have our persons who are looking within the police service also. So we are dealing with it across the board in relation to dealing with that aspect of legal, the, the legal aspect of firearms and ammunition. The 108 the minister referred to, is data that was supplied him through our crime and problem analysis branch and, and forwarded to him from the commissioners from my office. Those were data, that was data coming out from over a five-year period. And in fact, 52 of those were persons who were actually robbed of their firearms and end up on the streets. The others is like housebreaking and some were home invasions you know, where, and then we have a few where persons actually lost the firearms. So if we are seeing an increase in that aspect, where we have now 90 licensed firearms, most likely out there in the hands of criminals, right, we now have to tighten up in the way how we deal with legal firearms. And that is the reason why I'm talking about upgrading of the training of the people, advising them how to conceal the firearms, how to carry it, ensuring that it is it is um, stored properly at home. Just this week, a retired inspector lost his firearm where a firearm was taken from him by some drinking place where the persons walk up to him, held him, and pull it out from, from his waist because more than likely, I don't know, it could have been exposed. And that is the point that we are making. We had instances where persons running around the savannah with two licensed firearms and one shot him, himself. We have situations where persons with illegal firearms last year in a, um, in a business place in, in South, 
clean up all the fire and shot a woman accidentally. So so what I, we are simply saying, we need to tighten up on the way we deal with illegal firearms. It's not about not issuing firearms to persons. And I constantly is making that clear. There is no intention that once people reach the threshold, they will in fact be issued with the firearm. But we are saying the whole process needs to be tightened up. And I mentioned to the general public, and I'll mention it again. Under my watch, nobody will be being issued with 5, 10, 15, and 20, and 27 firearms. Because that is a significant risk. Because when you see that some of the, the loss of the firearms and how the, band, the firearms came in, band, in the hands of bandits, it was through housebreaking, through home invasion, right? So therefore, you have somebody with 15 firearms in the house and someone getting there. You know, as I said, some of them have more firearms in some instances than a, a, a police force. Is that really and truly um, promoting safety and security for our country? So I said I will not do that, and I will not be issuing any high-powered weapons to anyone until the government finish do the work that we are doing with looking at the Firearms Act and making the necessary amendments. So there will be ways and means. Very soon I'll be able to produce the data to demonstrate to the general public of how many persons out there who may have high-powered weapons, not the names of the persons, but we need to know. We need to know in the landscape and how many, because it was unusual, right? It was unprecedented that we issue in high-powered rifles to individuals in this country. You know, it was normally handguns. And if you have a rifle association, they will provide it. And when people go on the ranges and things, they will train. But the whole landscape changed because persons look at things differently. So are you, are you confirming that there had been an exponential rise in the issuance of licenses for high-powered weapons in the country? I, I definitely. Definitely coming out of the audit report and coming out from the, the report by Justice John, the data and everything there is clear. There, there was, in fact, that situation, and the numbers will be provided very soon. The analysts are there doing all the work because, remember, a lot of the things were done manually. So we are now putting things together so we'll be able to say, right, Amos, and we need to know for our own security reasons. We need M to know Mr. Commissioner, what, as Commissioner, because you are the person legally, constitutionally uh, able to sign off on the granting of a license, a firearm, under what circumstance? What is the threshold for somebody applying for a license for a high-powered weapon that would justify that in this country, if at all? Well, that, that is a difficult question. I know the Rifles Association and persons who in actually in the sport, in the sport of shooting, will um, normally um, apply for that particular purpose, Right. We will want to maintain that our police and our law enforcement officers be the, of the people who have access to that. But you will have the Writers Association, which will have may have a future for the people to use for the purpose of sports. And, and but if you're, if you're saying that, that there had been a rise, that you confirmed a short while ago, in the issuance of licenses for high-powered weapons in the country, 
is it that more people were in the Hunters Association, the Rifles Association applied for more? Or is it that ordinary civilians were just applying and I, receiving authorization for that? Well, I would simply say the latter. You know, Commissioner... So ordinary what, citizens so, were receiving... I am, talk, I am talking about individuals, individuals who don't own no 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 range or anything or no associations who were in fact issued with these weapons and i am saying that it creates our security risk on the landscape in trinidad and tobago is and i well there's so many questions that arise out 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 of what the discussion is around farms um the issue of the the data with regard to the people you mentioned the data and going through the data um, to see who has what, etc. Isn't that data computerized and easily accessible, or is it still hard copy? The reason why some of the things stayed so long and the other things stayed more than three months, it went to nearly six months, is because a lot of the things are paper-based. The, the, the database was not being utilized. So I now have a team of persons putting everything on a database where we can now collate it more efficiently to get the true, the true figures and the names. When they did the audit, they had to have persons supporting them and going through all the paperwork. And I'm just wondering, Commissioner, why, why isn't it more, but this is a question for you, as I suppose, in a personal capacity and a professional capacity, isn't it more productive for the state to move firearm licenses out of the TTPS and maybe to an accredited body that's set up by the state that deals with firearm licenses and monitoring and computerizing and modernizing it, rather than having the commission of police bogged down with the issue of who got a firearms license and signing a firearms license. It seems such a kind of pedantic thing to be assigned to a commission of police and the TTPS who should be out there fighting crime rather than dealing with who get what license? Yeah, um, the Office of Law Enforcement, OLEP, all right, um, was given the responsibility, I think some um, months ago, to do a study on that and present that to the Ministry of National Security by the minister concerning that aspect and how changes can be made. In the Jamaica, they, really, they have a, a body that deals with it outside of the police service, even though the police service may have some influence in relation to it, but they have a body, they have an agency that deals with that aspect of uh, the issuance of it. I, I don't know what will be the outcome of the study that was done and the information that was provided, but I know that they were looking into it to see whether or not that responsibility should still remain in the hands of the, the police service. You know, there are arguments for and against and it's just a matter for a decision to be made in which direction we should go so your thought process is is on point in relation to it and um it is really and truly um a tremendous um we have to have a whole section dealing with it and it's not just fuls fuec is dealing with all the security companies you know for licensed dealers you know it's a lot of work that need to take place in relation to dealing with firearms. All persons focus on is the FUL um, or um, person getting the FUL, but there are several other 
things that need to be dealt with by the fire section. Do, do we have a do we have a sense on the firearm section as to the amount of ammunition that's being imported annually into the country? Well, you remember once it comes in, it comes into the um, um, customs and excise department. So, um, I could, we we have a, we have some data on it, and that is the reason why the minister is actually probably making particular statements because everything you know you have to apply, you have to have the the, the you have to have the license. It has to be signed off by the commission. It has to go through the customs and excise. So you have all the people who there, so you can get a, a, a count of. And in fact, there is a count. We, we spoke, focused a lot on the, on the, the, the 108 guns, but the minister also spoke to the issue of the secondary bonded areas where the uh, illegal firearms are coming in. And that, although we the, the, a lot of the narrative has been on the 108 legally obtained a few years that ended up in the hands of the wrong person in the word minister was negligent. The main issue is still illegal firearms, is it not? Yes, and I don't know why, because the issue of legal firearms came up. People, some of the other feel that the focus is not on legal and the whole aspect of the illegal firearms. Look, yesterday, just through the CARICOM impact, we have launched um, a, a crime and, and, and firearm intelligence unit of Caribbean-wise because all the other Caribbean countries are affected by this whole aspect of illegal firearms. And that thing is set up and will be thing with CARICOM impact so all our databases can talk to each other, linking with Homeland Security, linking with the FBI, linking with the ATF, because the focus is on illegal firearms. And dealing with the whole aspect, dealing with the whole aspect of the ban and, and all the other areas that we know, right? Remember, just as just last week, persons were charged in 2019. Persons were charged, and I'm gonna show you very soon. Other persons in relation to some of those matters will, in fact, be charged. Some in Trinidad, some abroad. So the investigation, but we we have not turned our focus. That's the reason why we have. Our fire initiatives going on right now, and we already seized over probably now we reached 620. Just last night, we 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 we, we seized about three additional high-powered weapons, illegal in 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 Shibonas. So we continue that must reach about 312 high-powered weapons. We have seized the year so far, and I said the average was 67 per year. When you look at the other years, so who's feel that we change our focus but why should we not focus on illegal also when we have 90 firearms right now that we show about have now turned illegal because it is in the hands of the wrong people so we must ensure that persons who have legal firearms are able to secure it and the point that I'm constantly raising and ensure that the people who are the 15 and 20 and things secure it properly also because if something happens is 15 or 20 or 27 firearms going in the hands of of, of, of criminals how often is, is one required to renew this fuel or the variations for fuel it is required to be done yearly yeah so given what you've just said uh with persons who have 15 20 guns your, your quote was under my watch, no one will be granted 15, 20 FUs, which means, uh, and the minister's 
context of moving to a more moving back to a restrictive approach in his words is it that those persons who were issued 1520 will not be getting those renewed well number one i saw that they they their intentions to lift the to license the 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 those firearms to relicense those firearms would be very costly maybe five thousand for a firearm or ten thousand i don't know that i know the government will finalize that and some decision will be made, an administrative decision will be made in relation to that coming from the higher level. Yeah, you know, coming from that higher level, some decision will be made in relation to that aspect because um, sec- the Section 22 of the, the Firearms Act is clear. However, you need to have justification for um, any kind of seizure and, and things like that. Um, so we have to operate and operate within the law. But when you say from higher, what do you mean? Meaning to say that there, there, there is some amendments that need to be made to the Firearms Act that is had to be legislated. And when that is done, that provides the necessary um, um, policy and to the, to the Commissioner of Police, then things can be done. But we, right now we have to operate within the law. This is a country that uh, the law means a lot. We have to follow what the law says, and if you want to do anything differently, you have to get the law amended, whether it's by a simple majority or a two-thirds majority in order to do certain things, right? And that is what we will be, be, be following. What is your greatest concern as commissioner heading into the end of this year, uh, the end of November into December, given the murder rate? And although that's not the only crime statistics statistic available, but it certainly is the one that the public place close attention to heading into the end of the year my 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 greatest issue right now is to really arrest address and arrest this violent crime in trinidad and tobago to reduce the number of murders um and lastly the two crimes that we have the, the issue with right now is the larceny of motor vehicles, economically driven, and also the murders. Even the shooting and woundings are done. Right? When when I you remember I do my analysis, I do a trend analysis. And I don't just do comparative with the year before, which I am safe to say with the support of my criminal my criminologist colleagues consider it as skewed years. So I will do a trend and come up with how the how to really work the performance of the police in relation to looking at the crime. So I will not just compare this year with last year or the year before because those were skewed years according to the criminologists in Trinidad Tobago and internationally. Right? So we do that and we do the comparative. So when we look at it, the two main problems right now is the last name of the vehicle and murder. What, what is the trend? Just give, give, put up, what is the trend or the change in trend with last name of motor vehicles? And you mentioned a while ago it's economically driven. Expand on that a bit for us, please. You see, we saw a whole change in the landscape with the last name motor vehicles and the robbery of motor vehicles. So I just say, I have to say, Stealing of vehicles by different means, whether it is used by force, 
it is robbery and if it's just um, when the person is not present. But we have a real rise in it and we believe it's a striving business. A lot of persons are using it for to commit some of the crimes. But other than that, there is a business being run with um, persons and cutting up of vehicles and all the work. And the change in it is that it has right significantly on the east-west corridor, when before it was more prevalent in central and south Trinidad. So we have the trend now where mainly divisions affected, like Port of Spain to a lesser extent, but mainly northeastern division, um, northern division, and western division. You have a lot of incidents of larceny motor vehicle and certain type of vehicles and our student vehicle squad and, and our the intelligence is doing work and it have recovered over one hundred and ten of those vehicles for the year so far. Um but we we are working on it. And as I said, the other thing is the is in fact those murders and you know and the well, what is the number of vehicles stolen for the year so far in this rise? Well I, well, I can't say off of my head. I think it's around 600 and something. I'll have to get the data from, from Kappa. And when you said do the trend analysis, you will see probably we have an, um, probably an increase by around, around 30% when I do the trend analysis. If I compare with last year, I might say that there is a, a 100% increase. But however, when I do my proper trend analysis, I will see that... Um, is about that, and that is significant. And then the shift, you know, in what we are seeing, right? But the murders with those triple, um, double, triple, and quadruple murders is affecting us tremendously. And even though there are less incidents, less particular incidents of 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 of, of murders, less incidents, you'll have an incident where two or three persons getting getting killed. So even though there are less incidents, there are more murders. And I explained that the other day, I said, out of 40, no, I work it out again, because we had some others, out of 40 incidents, we end up with about 96 murders. And the years before, if we had 40 incidents, we may end up with 65 murders, because you may get one or two may end up being double murders. So you may end up around 50. So even though you have less incidents, but because of the type of weapons that are being used, we are ending up with more murders on our hands. You know, and that is the work that we need to do, you know, continue doing until the rest of the year to get those heavy power weapons out of the thing, arrest persons, charge them, make sure we have presence, make sure our response time could improve, make sure that our presence could act as a deterrent persons out there who will want to commit crimes and then deal with our scientific and technological aspects to assist us as we go forward. And, you know, the homicide continue doing the work. I don't know if they reach 100, but I think about 100 murders they have solved for the year so far. Not all the murders are from this year. It's got 22 from last year and about 2 or 3 from the other years, but they continue doing the work. And as I said, the ballistics have assisted us work that have the ballistic center that we have set up and working for instance have assisted us tremendously because some of those murders that we might have go begging because of the ballistics work now 
they hit the threshold that we can, in fact, charge persons, you know. So the more firearms we recover, and it comes in our hand, we can do the ballistics work and link it to some of the murders. You'll, you'll be getting, um, within the next few days, you'll have some more results from that work that is being done, you know, and some yeah. more murders will be solved, you know. Commissioner, are, are we talking about murders and murders being solved, etc.? Um, uh, and on this Power Breakfast show, we often talk about certain murders that would have happened in the, in the past, and you just don't know what has been the outcome. And I know two of them that generally we, we focus on are Raymond Chukong's murder and Ricardo Welch, Gladiator, and we just don't have any information of whether people were ever held accountable for those murders. And it just seems like so many other murders that have happened in the past it becomes subsumed in this pit of unresolved issues that just doesn't seem to be getting any further, at least from our perspective, doesn't seem to be getting any further uh, movement in terms of solving those crimes. Are we wrong to think that? And no, with no, specific... no, no. You are not wrong at all. And um, we have... Um, the ex um, executive and myself, we have examined that. That is the reason why we have established a cold case unit that works out of the homicide. And then you you will see that are some of the murders from, from look, we just saw murders from 2015. So this cold case unit works. And we have a list of, of different things that can help some of these murders. So they look at the murders, they review the files, they look to see if there is any gaps. We mainly have some retired officers who were specialized in the areas that we brought them back and have them working in the cold case unit and they will they will be working on all these things and, and if any new evidence comes forward, all of that is being done, like how we solved the double murder that occurred in Tobago um some years ago, the cold case unit and the work that they did and and, and well DNA has assisted us in, in that also. So so the we have a cold case unit, and we don't give up because murders are something that um, we don't really bring into closure. So anytime new evidence comes up. So what we do, we design now a database, putting all the cold cases and all the statements and everything there. They look at it, new evidence come up, anything new, review it there. The team go through it over and over. They may re-interview persons and the, you know... So we have to do it in that way because you talk about two or three, and I can call several others that we have um, outstanding. So we are concerned too, and that is the reason why we have established that cold case unit in order to deal with and design and design a cold case registry with all the with the cases. So anytime we wish to reopen, it, we can reopen it and and do the investigations. Uh, Commissioner, if I could just sh shift gears, uh, and you can confirm or or refute uh, my information, is that uh, there is still a lot of trafficking of women going on, uh, women being forced into sex work in Trinidad Tobago, uh, in particular, Venezuelan nationals are vulnerable, in some instances, underage girls. Uh, can you comment on this? Is this an issue in the I, country still? You know, you know, I will, well, probably... Um... This Tuesday, probably later in this week or next week, you all can interview me directly on that because we have solved so much. We have arrested Venezuelans as 
gang leaders, gang members involved in that aspect. We have rescued so many of them, you know, and um, is you know our intelligence people have a lot of work that they are doing. It is you know the murders have consumed that that whole aspect of what was taken place, and even the work, the good work that the police have been doing together with the with, with the counter trafficking unit concerning that issue, you know. Um, and I know y'all y'all will hear persons talk along will talk about the um, the broken window theory, you know. Um, you know. Right, and it is it's simply this. You look at low-hanging fruits, a lot of minor offenses that people normally ignore, and you'll notice the work that we are doing in Arima area right now with a lot of those clubhouses and things that um, a lot of work is being done and persons being charged with illegal gambling machines. All of that generates all of that, but we are saying if we can't get at the big um, offenses, we deal with the small offenses. We have a multi-agency task force right now, and they specialize in that and work with the CTU dealing with that aspect. So, at probably later in the week or next week, I will talk to you more about that, because as I said, it's a, a very important area, and in some instances, it is fueling some of our murders that you see happening on the ground. It is also linked to some of our murders you know, and um, with the whole Venezuelan situation that we have um, in Trinidad, with most of them who come out good and hard working, but you have some who are involved in criminal activities, and you all have the numbers of how many of them we have charged for firearm offenses and other offenses within the last two, three years, right? So we can have some discussion on that later on in the week. We will certainly call you next week, Uli. To have a substantive yes. discussion on that when you have the data available to you. Yes, yes. No problem at all. The Finally, uh, the issue of the police victim and witness wellness, sorry, um, di division and its work in intervening in domestic situations and domestic violence situations. We had the unfortunate situation last week where the woman was killed even after she left the home and how much that is engaging the attention of police. I know the, 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 the unit had been doing some good work before. Can you give us a sense of how many reports are coming in where that is concerned? Are they on the rise? Are they uh, on the decline? And what the police response is? Well, we are, we, we are actually seeing less, you know, we, you know, when the special victims department um, started to do work and go into communities and um, relate to persons and they got the confidence we had a rise because of that. Persons now were willing, they felt confident, they had the secured numbers to call, you know. But as they start to deal with things now and manage it and link with other government agencies who we get in certain communities to do work in combination with the police and our community police, Right, um, you find now there's a reduction in the number of reports that is coming in. We also have a legal clinic with 26 lawyers. When I had made the call for help, who have volunteered, and we have former team, and they go from communities to communities and they educate people on all aspects of law, tort, and domestic violence, and things like that. I think they're going to be here next week or later in this month. 
And that kind of work is helping significantly. And some of them refer to our mediation center that we set up in the old St. Joseph police station. So you'll have some of them will go and they will have mediation and, you know, and to deal with different things. So there is a lot of work being done. But what I'm pleased about is that a lot of the ministries have come on board with us. And that combination of work have taken off some of the weight from the police shoulders. And we get some more experts to come on board as we do the work within the community. So that special victim department is doing good work. Unfortunately, the young lady in San Fernando did not make a report, you know, because that's the first thing I wanted to know when the incident happened, whether or not she made a report. She did not make a report, and that's the reason why we advise persons in situations to make reports because we can help. We are not helping any relation to just doing pure law enforcement. We will do the initial counseling we have. We have brought on civilian staff in our special victims department assist us. So we do the initial work and then do the referral and we help families get back together and all of that. So again, Ms. Guy Allen, Ms. Coupon, and um, ESP Cooper and others, uh, Ms. Sherin Pollard and the team they are doing man and um, Superintendent Bridgewell, they are doing significant work. I they went just some of them just came from abroad from Jamaica to Canada, where they went and do specialized training, and they are back. And, um, you know, you know that is a real positive for the Trinidad Tobago Police Service. Commissioner, thank you for being with us. We hope to speak to you next mm -hmm. week when you have the available on the uh, domestic violence situation and also the, the, the intervention with human trafficking. Thank you for your time and contribution this morning. Anytime. I really appreciate it. And we appreciate you making yourself available. Yeah, we really do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Commissioner. All the best to you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good day. Yeah. All right. Of course, that was... Recording stopped. Acting Commissioner of Police, Mr. Jacobs, Donald Jacobs, being with us this morning. A lot of info. A lot of info, gentlemen. Yep. <laughs> you see, I've been writing consistently. Thank you, Commissioner. All right, our news is next. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so, of course, good morning to all those on YouTube with us this morning. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. All right. Um, thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.